Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up on today's episode, we take a look at where the Jets are at with under 30 games to go plus some trade scenarios for Andrew Kopp and Paul Stasny. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Hope you guys are doing good. Good to be back after a a tough week off, to be honest. Um, Like a lot of people still struggling to wrap my mind around what's going on in Ukraine right now. And I just couldn't get into what happened on the ice last week. Uh, My heart wasn't into it. I... Just was it in a, g- a good space to talk about hockey, to be honest. Um, my family's Ukrainian. A lot of my friends as well. I mean, Manitoba obviously has a huge, huge connection. So much Ukrainian heritage here, you know, in Canada, but specifically in Manitoba. So it's been a tough go for a lot of people in the province to try and deal with the atrocities that we've seen over the last little while. I mean, it's it, it's heartbreaking. Hearing people, you know, wonder if they're ever going to see their family again, if they'll have homes to go back to, all because of a senseless attack created by a dipshit psychopath leader. So I needed a bit of time off, just there was too much negativity, wasn't in a good mind space, um, but I guess on a positive side, it has been uplifting seeing, I mean, first and foremost, the spirit and the resolve of the people of Ukraine. But also seeing thousands of people here in Winnipeg specifically show support downtown this past Saturday. That was amazing. Uh, Just an amazing, amazing scene here. And then huge, huge props as well to the Jets organization for having the Hoosley Men's Choir sing the Canadian and Ukrainian anthem for Tuesday's game against Montreal. I mean, that's just super well done by the Jets. It's going to be an absolutely tremendous, tremendous moment for sure. So... You try to find slivers of positivity here and there during times like this, and and, and those are some of them. But definitely sending all the prayers and love to Ukraine right now. And I I guess let's just hope that there's a peaceful resolution as soon as possible. It's just, all of this is just awful. Not an easy transition to make, but we'll switch gears here to the ice and go back to the Winnipeg Jets. A practice day for the club Monday, ahead of the game Tuesday against the last place Montreal Canadien. 
And some good news for the Jets on the personnel side of things. Nikolai Ehlers back on the ice for the first time in over six weeks. Skating in a no-contact jersey after his knee injury. And he was looking pretty damn good out there. Fly was flying. Andrew Cobb skated as well and looks to be back sooner than later. We'll see what he does get back into the lineup. So I, I guess if you're still hoping for a miracle playoff push, it was a very successful day for sure, for sure. And the push for an unlikely postseason berth is still on the cards for the team thanks to a victory in Arizona that capped off, I, I mean, a pretty brutal road trip for the club. And hey, losing to the Coyotes would have been the final straw, no doubt. Like, just pack it up, call it a year. But with the season on the line, the Jets were able to muster up a comeback in the third period, and they grabbed a vital two points to stay within, I guess we'll call it striking distance of the final wildcard spot. And I don't even know what to make of a game like that, to be honest, right? Like, I hate to be super negative after a victory, but that was about as underwhelming of a win as imaginable, right? I mean, you're going up against one of the worst teams in the league to begin with. And I thought to myself during the first 40 minutes, if you were watching that game with someone who, who didn't watch a lick of hockey this season, and you just told them one of these teams in this game has a record just above 500, and the other one is at the bottom of the standings, can you pick which team has which record? I don't know if that person could have figured it out, right? Like, it, it wasn't like the first two meetings of the season, at least, where the Jets peppered the Coyotes with a ton of shots and a ton of chances. This was a really evenly matched game. And even, you know, the positive part, the Jets having a third-period comeback, Arizona still had 14 shots on goal, and they were pushing the play big time. After going down a goal. And if not for Eric Comrie's strong final frame, it could have been a really ugly story and the worst possible road trip imaginable. So it was a weird game in the sense that you get the result you want, but the destination to get there was pretty much the, the worst way possible. And it was interesting to me. You know, the main talk, I guess through 40 minutes of that game for sure, but the main talk I've seen from Jets fans over the last week specifically. And it's this term that I've heard so much from so many different people is how there's something rotten with this group of players. How the Jets can look like a team with no identity and no real direction on how to get out of this funk. There's there's something rotten with the core of this team. That that seems to be not maybe not the overwhelming, but the general sentiment around the Winnipeg Jets. And I don't think the win in Arizona changed that either, right? Like, especially going back to earlier in the week, you blow a last-minute game to Calgary. You blow a chance to beat Dallas in regulation. And then you blow a 3 nothing lead to Colorado. I mean, how many points were left on the board by the Jets before the game against Arizona? Although in Winnipeg's defense, I mean, Colorado is insane. I, I don't know if there's, <laughs> I don't know if Colorado's going to lose more than a handful of games the rest of the season. But, you know, pushing that aside, back to the Jets' woes, there's certainly a lot of theories as to why the Jets look the way they do right now, despite all the promise and all the hype going into the season with this team. And we've gotten into a bunch of them as well. I mean, look, there, there's more than a fair amount of blame that can be placed on, on certain players and we all know who the whipping boys have been for the majority of the season. 
But to me, you can make arguments for and against certain players. You know what I mean? Like you can say, this guy hasn't been good. Well, maybe this is the reason for that, right? You know know what I mean? Like different things like that. But the one thing that's an absolute no-doubter for me as to why the Jets look so despondent, so unimpressive for long stretches, is that this team made a critical mistake in not cleaning house with the coaching staff and bringing in an entirely new voice. When the decision was made and Paul Marie stepped aside, the Jets let a massive opportunity go in not bringing in somebody from outside of the organization that could have brought a fresh perspective, a new direction, new systems, accountability. I mean, like the list goes on and on, right? All of that was lost when the Jets promoted in-house. Because in all reality, you make the coaching change, but this is basically the same Paul Maurice coach team as far as how they look on the ice, right? I mean, the message sounds the same. The systems and the way they play outside of the penalty kill are the exact same. There, there wasn't really a whole lot of change to be made. And if anything, you could make the case that they might be even worse 5-on-5 five five now than they were under Paul Maurice. You're not finding out a lot about the group that you have. You're not getting any new information on the players that you have out there on the ice. A new coach could have done all that. And on top of that, giving you a better sense of where you stand heading into next season. Now there's a major level of uncertainty as to what changes need to be made when it comes to personnel. That issue could have been ironed out potentially with a new coaching staff in place. I mean, a lot of people are making the comparison, seeing what the Calgary Flames are doing this season, right? I mean, Daryl Sutter comes in, a team that was underperforming and underwhelming the year prior, all of a sudden sees their star players play at that level. And it's a completely different outlook to basically the same group of players, right? And they they lost their captain the year prior as well, right? But you're seeing how an entire team's outlook can be changed with a new coaching staff brought in. Not, not that it's a guarantee, but you do see how it can happen. And so there is a path that the Winnipeg Jets could have followed, but they didn't do that. And now there is a lot of that uncertainty going into this upcoming offseason, even going into the trade deadline before we get there, right? So we could talk about, you know, Shifley and Wheeler. Some people have mentioned Hellebuck, all that. But the decision to shuffle the bench without somebody else coming in was a major misstep. And (laughs) Calgary is one example, but it's even more so when you look up in the standings all of a sudden And you see the Bruce Boudreaux-led Canucks sitting ahead of the Jets looking like a completely different group of players. You wonder what that impact could have done right here in Winnipeg. I mean, I guess the one positive before we switch gears here is that the Montreal Canadiens are in town on Tuesday night. And that should be... I know the game against Arizona was tighter than expected, but again, this should be a free spot of the bingo card for the Jets. You win two in a row, and then basically... The season comes down to Friday night against the Dallas Stars. You win in regulation, you know what? Maybe you have a puncher's chance of getting yourself back into this, but you lose against Dallas, and you know what? Basically, all bets are off at that point, and you're looking at booking a tea time once uh, the end of April rolls around. So we'll get a much clearer sense of where the Winnipeg Jets are in the standings 
and their standee while headed into the trade deadline. Now, I mentioned the deadline there because that's where we're going to go to in the second half of the episode here. Andrew Cobb, Paul Stasny, maybe some players with term as well. But we're going to focus specifically now that the deadline is officially three weeks away heading into the beginning of March here with a trade deadline primer on the two big pending UFA candidates, where they could be going, what they could fetch on the open market. All that's coming up in just a second. But before we do that, we do have to give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings. Now that the Super Bowl has wrapped up, hockey underway, but don't forget about hoops as well. The Raptors are kicking ass. And with that in mind, DraftKings Sportsbook, one of the official sports betting partners of the NBA, has a massive deal that's way too good for you to pass up. That is, if you guys like making money. $150 of free money, that is, by betting just $1. We'll get to that in just a sec. Remember, too, though, if Sportsbook is not available in your state or province just yet, you can still get a big payday. Everybody can make huge, huge money with huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Red Line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. All right, so trade deadline time. 21 days away. 10 games in that time span as well for the Winnipeg Jets. So, I mean, there is there is a bit of runway if they do want to trim that six or maybe eight point deficit on a wild card spot. I'll, I'll just say this right out of the gate before we get into the value and the potential return for guys like Kopp and Stasny. But to me, even if the Winnipeg Jets are, let's say, tied for a wild card spot, I'm moving both of those guys out. I I don't think this is a situation where if you're the Winnipeg Jets just sneaking in to get potentially blasted by the Colorado Avalanche in four games, I don't think that's a juicy enough of a carrot to dangle to avoid the potential return you could get in moving both of those players. Some people might say, you know, what kind of a message does that send to a team, right? A group of players that, you know, you're basically waving the white towel on the season if you're moving out guys like that. But we have a pretty recent example of this working out extremely well for a team that did just that. And it's the St. Louis Blues, and, and you know, funny enough, it's Paul Stasny that was a part of it, right? Like, if you go back to that fable 2018 season, the St. Louis Blues, while in the hunt for a wildcard spot, ship Paul Stasny off to the Winnipeg Jets in exchange for a first-round pick in Eric Foley, and then a, a conditional fourth as well. But you get a first-round pick, essentially, for Paul Stasny. 
if you're the St. Louis Blues, who at the time was a, a big, big piece on their team. And the Blues ended up going to the last day of the season, I think losing to Colorado, ultimately missing out on the playoffs. You could make the case Stasny's on the team. Maybe the St. Louis Blues end up making the postseason that year. But that group of players didn't respond too poorly because they went on to win the Stanley Cup the following season. And on top of that, too, a trade was made in the offseason to bring Ryan O'Reilly. Now, sure, there was, you know, Barube and Bennington that came in as well halfway through the year. But you get my point, right? That the St. Louis Blues just took a cold, calculated look at the roster that they had, decided they weren't going to be a Stanley Cup team that season, garnered some assets, and then they were able to parlay that into an opportunistic trade for a high-end talent the following offseason. And it ultimately paid off in the best way possible, right? So you want to talk about past the Winnipeg Jets can go down? There's an example not too far away that you can ship out assets, even if you're still in the playoff mix, and have it work out for you pretty soon after that. So just really, really important that Kevin Chevalier a cold splash of water, be realistic, understand this team is not going to win the Stanley Cup this season, even if they do miraculously sneak into the playoffs, get the assets that you can right now to better position your team to make a run at it again next season. Now, the reason I wanted to, I guess, look into this heading into the month of March is just trying to get a sense of maybe what to expect as far as a return for the Winnipeg Jets if they trade Andrew Kopp and Paul Stasny, as well as potential fits, just, you know, kind of getting the lay of the land and setting up expectations heading into trade deadline day. Now, the Athletic's big board, the Athletic has a big board of trade candidates. So I'll, I'll kind of, you know, bounce off that a little bit here. But just taking a look at it, Andrew Kopp, by the way, is 13th on their trade big board. That includes... A couple of defensemen, Marc-Andre Fleury as well. So 13th ranked player overall, you can quibble with that. But when I look at the players that are realistically available or available as we know, there's three forwards that are no doubt about it ahead of Andrew Kopp on the pecking order when it comes to trade candidates. Claude Giroux, I think, is obviously the the big, the big prize. Um, so you have Giroux that's ahead of him. JT Miller out there in Vancouver, and then Tomas Hurdle out there in San Jose. When you look at those three names, the absolute best thing that could happen to the Winnipeg Jets is that none of them get moved. Now, I personally, especially, you know, following the Flyers, think it's basically a certainty that Claude Giroux does get moved, in all likelihood, it sounds like, to the Colorado Avalanche. So, I don't know if you're necessarily hoping hoping for good fortune there. But there is a chance that JT Miller doesn't get moved by the Canucks, for example. There is a chance that Tomas Hurdle resigns in San Jose and doesn't move anywhere as well. Miller sounds a lot more likely to be moved, but the big piece for me is that would be a huge, huge slice of good news for the Winnipeg Jets if Tomas Hurdle resigns in San Jose because there's one team in particular that I think is a perfect fit for Hurdle, but that would make them even more desperate to ante up the price for a guy like Andrew Kopp. So just keep an eye on those three names in particular, but maybe more so than anybody, Tomas Hurdle, if he resigns in San Jose, 
The Winnipeg Jets could be looking at a pretty damn good haul for Andrew Kopp because he might then be, you know, the third most valuable forward available for teams when it comes to pending free agents. So what's a realistic, I think, best case scenario for the Winnipeg Jets when it comes to a return on moving Andrew Kopp? Because you can argue, is he a second line or a third line player on a contending team, this and that, but you're talking about center wing versatility, good face-offs, good defensively, penalty kill, power play, five, like the, the guy does it all. And I think the expectation at this point has to be that Andrew Kopp is worth the first round pick. It's something that I didn't really believe going into the season, but I don't know how you can argue against that right now. Now, now there's always so much variance from trade deadline to trade deadline, right? And I mean, things like leverage and how many teams you're willing to go to, all that, it, it could play a huge role in terms of how much you're able to bring back in a trade, right? Like, I mean, look at last year, for example, Taylor Hall goes to Boston for basically nothing, just a second round pick, and nobody would trade Taylor Hall for Andrew Cobb, you know what I mean? But then Nick Felino goes to the Leafs for a first round pick, right? Like, it's it, it, it can be difficult to pinpoint an exact return, but... When you look at everything that Andrew Kopp can bring to the table, and then you also look at prior trades at the deadline, I think that Kevin Chevaldeoff needs to get back a first-round pick. That's the value you should be getting back. Now, is a second and a third-round pick equivalent to a first? I, I don't know the answer to that. And then it's also hard to kind of gauge a prospect's value to a first-round pick. You know what I mean? But... That's what we're looking at here. Andrew Kopp, if he's being traded for a pick or picks, should bring back a first rounder or a prospect of equivalent value. And, I mean, look at the deals that Tampa Bay made a couple of seasons ago, giving up a first round pick and a prospect for Blake Coleman, who scored at a very similar rate to Andrew Kopp, although he did have a year left, uh, an extra year added on his contract. But you also had Barkley Goodrow as well. That was traded for a first-round pick. Even last year's trade deadline, Matthias Janmark, who did not score and does not have the versatility that Andrew Kopp has, was able to get a second and a third-round pick from Vegas to Chicago, right? Like, I mean, that that to me is worst-case scenario is you get a second and a third for Andrew Kopp. If you look at trades in the past, you know, a guy of his caliber is going to bring in I think at least a first round pick and and there's the potential for more as well on top of it. So I don't know how many people are going to be surprised by that, but I think it's, I think it's fair to say that the expectation should be seeing a first round pick be brought back to the Winnipeg Jets in this deal. And if Kevin Chivaldeoff can't get that back, then I would say you have to give him a bit of a failing grade on this trade. So that's the acquisition price. We'll, we'll just call it a first-round pick for, for convenience here. Now, as far as potential destinations, you know, I mentioned keeping an eye on Tomas Hurdle because to me, one of the teams that makes the most sense to get in on, you know, maybe even Cop and or Stasny is the Boston Bruins. I mean, Boston has had a major, major hole, I mean, as far as their second-line center, but even their third line as well this year. I think Boston is a prime candidate for the Winnipeg Jets to go after. And with the state of their team, you know, Bergeron, 
heading into his late 30s, Marshawn mid-30s. You know, I mean, they don't really have a goalie now that Tuka Rask has retired as well. There's a level of desperation there that you could definitely see Boston giving up at least a first-round pick for a guy like Andrew Kopp. Maybe even a lower-end prospect like Jack Stadnika, a former first-round pick. That could be a potential deal for the Winnipeg Jets if Boston is desperate enough. There is, I'll just throw this out there too, by the way. Let me know on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki. If you like this idea, is it good value? Not enough? Whatever you think. But, you know, Jake DeBrusque's name has been thrown around in, in trade talks as well for, I mean, almost two years it seems like. Maybe instead of a first-round pick, you trade call for Jake DeBrusque. And you have somebody that can help your lineup immediately next season. So just a thought there as well. But Boston is no doubt about it going to be a team that I think is going to be in on Andrew Cobb. Another one, and, and one that I think would be equally intriguing for a team like the Winnipeg Jets, is the Edmonton Oilers. And I know it may not be in your best interest to trade you know, trade a guy like Andrew Cobb to a team you're chasing in the wildcard race. But, I mean, we all know the Oilers have been desperate for bottom six scoring for a, basically Connor McDavid's career, right? I think Andrew Cobb fits a lot of the boxes for the Edmonton Oilers. And you want to talk about desperate. There might not be a more desperate team than the Edmonton Oilers to try to get into the dance. And on top of it, too, you know, you trade your first round pick if you can get Edmonton's first round pick for Andrew Cobb. You know what? There's a chance Edmonton doesn't make the playoffs, and then all of a sudden you're looking at a top 20 selection. You know what I mean? So, Edmonton, fit is there, desperation level is there. I would, if I had to pick out of the teams I have listed here, I'll get to the other ones uh, in just a sec. To me, Boston, Edmonton are the most intriguing options. Then you have, I mean, Colorado is going to be on everyone's wish list for any good player because, I mean, they're obviously making a run at it. I don't know if Andrew Kopp is a good fit from an avalanche perspective in terms of giving up a first-round pick. But, I mean, Colorado is certainly looking to add. The Rangers, as well, would be, I think, a good fit for Andrew Kopp because their third line has been completely unproductive all season as well. Uh, would the Rangers be willing to give up a first-round pick at this point in their kind of retool? I don't know, but certainly a team to keep an eye on. And then you have to throw in Tampa Bay as well, right? I mean, I mentioned Coleman and Goudreau. Um, the Lightning have, I, I think, been pretty open that if they think a player can help them win the Cup, they're going to give up a first-round pick for it. They have no problems with that. So those are the teams that I think are going to be the most in on the Andrew Cop sweepstakes. Boston, Colorado, Edmonton, the Rangers, and Tampa Bay. I'm going to have a specific interest in Boston Edmonton, and I think maybe even the New York Rangers as well. You know, maybe, maybe if, if you're a Jets fan, just look into the prospects on those three teams because I think that might be the clubhouse leaders right now to pick up Andrew Cobb. Now, the other big potential acquisition from the Winnipeg Jets, another pending UFA forward, Paul Stasny, an Ogwack, if you will. For those that don't know, Ogwack means it's an acronym, old guy without a cup. Uh, you're the, the sentimental favorite, right? There's going to be a, a lot of teams that could use a guy like Paul Stasny. I mean, look, any team could use a guy like Paul Stasny, but especially one looking to make a deep Stanley Cup run. You're getting a veteran with playoff experience and all that and the pedigree, but he can actually still play on top of it too. I think he'd be a perfect fit as a third line, either winger or center 
for one of the contending teams. Now, as as far as well, before we get to the return, I mean, as far as locations, basically look basically look at the top eight, ten teams in the NHL. I, I think those that that's your locations right there. Any one of those teams could be in the market, especially because the cost isn't going to be a first round pick. Now, what the return is. I would say the most likely return for Paul Stasny is a second-round pick. I, I'd say that's fair. You know, you're, you're not going to get a first. I mean, maybe you go the prospect route if there's a quote-unquote B-level prospect you like on a different team. But I, I think a second-round pick sounds like fair value for a guy that's half a point a game. And then all the intangibles that he brings as well to the table. I, I think a third-round pick would be a little bit low. And again, I think that would be a failing grade for Kevin Chevalier. So... A second round pick, I think, is a fair haul for Paul Stasny. And, and that's why this deadline is so crucial for the Winnipeg Jets, right? Because if everything goes, I guess, according to plan or maybe best case scenario, best case realistic scenario, you're looking at an additional first and second round pick coming your way for this upcoming draft. And whether or not you, you take somebody or you use that as assets in a trade to acquire a high level player, that, that's a pretty significant haul. For the Winnipeg Jets. And in all reality, it doesn't take away from the core of your team, right? Like you still have a one-two punch down the middle of Shafley Dubois. You still have Ehlers, Connor, Perfetti, Wheeler on the wing, right? You still have your group of defensemen, you know, whether or not you like that, you still have them all there. And then you still have Connor Hellebuck intact, right? Like you're you're not taking away from the upper end fabric of your team, and you're still adding some significant draft capital. So that's why I think it's so imperative for the Winnipeg Jets to both move on from those two players, but also nail it when it comes to making moves at the deadline. Now, there are some alternate scenarios that we'll kind of have fun with here as the episode winds down a little bit. That I, I just want to mention, these might be a little more pie in the sky, but I, I think there is some some reason to this. Just imagine this. Some potential package deals, if you will. I'm going to make Colorado the, the the suitor for this first one here. Because, like I said earlier, they're the ones that are quite possibly going to be the most aggressive team in the entire NHL. You know, maybe instead of getting a first-round pick for Andrew Kopp and a second-round pick for Paul Stasny, what if you package them both together in the same deal? Huh? What if you traded Andrew Kopp and Paul Stasny, you retain 50% salary on both of them, so you're talking about roughly $3.5 million in salary for the two players, and you use them to garner a huge package deal back Winnipeg's way. And, and maybe in doing so, you're able to get a pretty significant return instead of making two separate deals, you do the lazy GM route, which is always my you know, specified way of doing things, and you package them both to one team, and you're able to get more quality as opposed to quantity. That might be a route the Winnipeg Jets could go. It, I think it's pretty rare in terms of trade deadline deals, but it's certainly an option, I think, if you're Kevin Chevaldeoff and you have a team desperate enough, maybe you can grab a single elite asset instead of, two very good assets. You know what I mean? So so that's an option for the Winnipeg Jets when it comes to, to two pending UFAs. But there's also this other one that I've conjured up here 
because we know there's a logjam on defense right now. I mean, in all likelihood, the Winnipeg Jets have to open up a spot or two for either a prospect to step in or a high-end NHLer to fill that role, right? Like, it does feel like at least one, maybe two, quote-unquote, big-name defensemen on the Winnipeg Jets are going to be out the door. What if you package Andrew Kopp and, say, Brendan Dillon in a trade to a team like, say, the Edmonton Oilers, for example? And I, I bring up Edmonton, I, you know, one, because one of my best buddies, Ross Cook, has peppered me every single day. It feels like about Andrew Cobb's a perfect fit for Edmonton. Brandon Dillon's a perfect fit for Edmonton. Ken Hall needs to get in on both these guys. I mean, there's the option to make that deal happen for you if you're Ken Holland. And, and we know that he has been publicly hesitant on giving up a first-round pick or multiple assets for a rental. But in this case, you are getting somebody with some term, and Brandon Dillon's cap hit isn't all that onerous. And then on top of it, you're getting the the versatility of a guy like Andrew Kopp, but then maybe the potential of, of re-signing him and having him be an Edmonton Oiler for the next couple of seasons as well. That's another option that I'd be very intrigued to see if it's on the table at all for Kevin Sheveldayoff. We know that in all likelihood, Andrew Kopp is going to be on his way out the door. But do you try to package another piece on top of that to get a much larger, a much more intriguing return in place? I I, I love I love trade trade deadline talk might be my favorite kind of hockey talk. I mean, it's a it's a ton of fun to imagine all these different what if scenarios. I'd love to hear yours, by the way. Again, like I mentioned, hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Wiki. Let me know. Is Andrew Cobb worth a first-round pick? Should he be worth a first-round pick? Stasny, the same sort of a deal, but a second-round pick. Would you look to package some of these players? Is there somebody else that I missed that has term on the Winnipeg Jets that should be on their way out the door in less than three weeks' time? I'm fascinated to know what Winnipeg Jets fans think, so let me know about all that, and, and maybe we'll get to that by the time that we return for our next episode later this week. But that's going to do it for this episode. Well, we'll call it quits there. So thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. We'll actually get back at it on Saturday. So not Friday, but we'll be back at it on Saturday, specifically because the Winnipeg Jets will host the Dallas Stars in basically a a make-or-break game for them on Friday night. So want to make sure that we get to that one Saturday morning. So you'll have a full breakdown of the big game against the Dallas Stars coming up when we return on a Saturday. Until then, though, enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe, everybody. Peace.